Amen. Thank you for that little chorus there because that sets up exactly what we're going to be talking about today. It's all about Him. And as I mentioned before, the title of my message is Pay Attention to Jesus, which means you have to stop paying attention to yourself and start turning your eyes and fixing your eyes on Jesus. As I read this week, I read several different stories about drifting, some great sermon analogies, but one kind of stuck out in particular to me, and that was the story of the Titanic, which I'm sure many of you guys know. But they said that after the fact of the Titanic, they went back and they talked to the captain and they had found uh, his compass. And this is a compass that he had used for many, many, many years. It was an old compass. And I guess, I don't know back then, I was trying the praise team this morning. I guess back then maybe you had to recalibrate your compass or, or fix it. I said it'd be like the equivalent of uh, updating your software on your GPS today. It's a little more high-tech than that, but he hadn't done that for a while, and his compass was actually two degrees off of due north, just two degrees off due north. But as we know how little of a drift that that may have been from the position of what they, where they wanted to go, only two degrees off can turn into miles. Hundreds of miles. We all know what happened. They got so far off track, hit a glacier, and destruction awaited them. Two degrees doesn't seem like very much, and that's kind of how drifting is. Drifting happens so gradually by just a little bit. And as this morning, as we talk about this passage we have to understand how it is that we can keep ourselves from drifting from the Lord. And it's as easy as just paying attention to Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. It says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by the angels proved to be reliable, in every transgression or disobedience received just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for uh, just how perfect it is. Father God, how we rest in your word. Lord, how we hear from you in your word. God, I pray this morning, Lord, that um, this, this message, this, this, these words from uh, Hebrews, Father God, would pierce our hearts. Father God, that we would have open ears to not only just hear, but to soak in, Father God, to take to heart what we hear this morning. God, I pray, Father Lord, that you would just uh, remove me of myself. Father God, fill me with your spirit, Father God, to deliver this message, not from me, but from you. God, we just ask all these things in your son's holy name. Amen. Well, if you are taking notes, as we kind of mentioned before, there's three 
uh, points that I want to make this morning that we, I think we see here. And it's, uh, they're all, they all start with the letter D, and that is drifting, destruction, and deliverance. Drifting, destruction, and deliverance. We'll start with drifting. In verse 1 it says, Therefore, well, anytime we've talked to you guys about studying your Bible, anytime you've done any kind of class, uh, DTP, Sunday school, whatever it may be, when you see the word therefore, we need to take a pause right then and there. Because when we see the word therefore, we must look back. We must look back to the previous text. Because what this next passage is about to do is bring the purpose of the text that was before it. So as Kevin preached last week on angels and how the Jewish believers at this time held angels up to a very high esteem, the author's intent was to show us, and Kevin did a great job of pointing this out, that Christ was greater than the angels. That Christ was greater than the angels. And he spins verses 5 through 13, the author does, describing that. He describes that. Has God ever said this to the angels? Has God ever attested this to the angels? But no, but he's attested this to Christ. So with that mindset in mind, that is the mindset of which we go into this passage today. We go into this passage with the understanding that Christ is greater than the angels. Now, what does that have to do with this passage? Well, the angels were messengers of God. They were messengers for God. And we discussed that last week. And there were messages that they brought all throughout the Old Testament in the Old Covenant. And that was by God that he would use angels to deliver these messages. But we also know that Jesus was a messenger, was he not? When Jesus came onto the scene in the New Testament, he brought forth a message that was also from God. He brought in the new covenant. So we understand that there were messages brought from angels, there were messages brought from Christ, and if we hold to that same purpose of the text last week, that Christ is greater than the angels, Therefore, his message is greater than the message of the angels. Do you get what I'm saying there? As last week, as we talked about how Christ was greater than the angels, the author takes kind of a moment here in the midst of his talk about angels, and he says, now listen, not only is he greater than the angels, but his message is greater than that of which the angels brought. So if Christ and his message are greater than the angels, and they paid so close attention to the message of the angels, the author says here that we must pay much closer attention to this message. We must pay much closer attention to this message. What is this message that Christ brought with him? Well, I'm glad you asked. Christ's message was the gospel, which has the power to save sinners. Christ's life, death, and resurrection was Christ's message to the people. He was the coming Messiah, 
that had been prophesied about. He was the one that would fulfill and not only abolish, but fulfill the old covenant. Christ's message was that of permanency, not temporary. Yeah, thanks, Rook. This is like the tiniest little water bottle I've ever seen in my life, but it'll work. So as we look at this, we understand that Christ's message is not a temporal one as the angels. And we'll talk about this message from the angels a little bit later on. But this message that he brought forth, the angels' message was temporary, but Christ's was eternal. Therefore, making it far greater than what the angels could have ever brought. And imagine this, God, as he mentioned several times in the previous passage, God said this to about Christ. He attested this to Christ. God's high of Christ was greater than the angels. Therefore, the message he was going to send with Christ was greater than what he sent with the angels. But it's important that, why is that important, Josh, that we must pay closer attention to that? Why is it important that we pay close attention to the message of Christ? Well, the author does a good job of telling us the reason why here. He says, pay closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away, lest we drift away. So here comes that first point that we're talking about, drifting. What does it mean to drift? Well, the definition of drift means to be carried away slowly. Everybody say slowly, slowly. It's to be carried away slowly. And I love the word drift that is used here because the author of Hebrews he knows what he's doing here. There's a purpose why drift was the word that he uses here. Because I truly believe that when we are not focusing on Christ, drifting is the way that we depart. One day, we just don't wake up and say, you know what? I'm done with this God stuff. I'm out. It doesn't happen. That's not how deconstruction happens. That's not how apostasy happens. That's not how falling away from the truth happens. That's not what we're talking about here. But when people leave the truth that they know, it is a gradual drift away. Drifting isn't something that happens suddenly or quickly, but gradually. But what's interesting, though, is though it happens gradually, it surprisingly happens faster than what we expect. Because when we begin to drift, it begins to spiral out of control. And the slowly part happens, and the slowly part happens because it's so unnoticeable to us that it slowly happens over time. But then when we look back, we realize how far we've come and how fast it's happened. So it's slow in its way of hiding itself, but quick in the way that it comes about in our lives. I use the example of coming to church, reading your Bible, praying. It takes that one Sunday where you're like, you know, I'm kind of tired this morning. I just think I'm just going to stay home. And then one Sunday turns into two Sundays. Two Sundays turn into three before you know it, you haven't been in church for a year. I've just got so much stuff to do. I don't really have time to read my Bible today. One day comes quick, then two, and three. Before you know it, it's been a year since you've opened your Bible. 
I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to pray. Before you know it, you haven't prayed in years. The gradual drift happens so quickly, but yet so subtly. And I think it's important that we understand that drifting happens. Drifting happens. Same thing happens with sin. Well, this sin's okay. I can do a little bit of this. And a little bit of that turns into a whole, whole bunch of nastiness. See, I believe that the enemy uses drifting as one of his main attacks against people. He will do whatever he can to take our eyes off of Christ and focus on anything else, just in the slightest bit, just two degrees off from what we're supposed to be focused on. And then in that slight distraction, we become so far from God. Now, I can use this analogy today because, yes, I own my own yard, and, yes, I do mow my own grass for all those that like to give me a hard time about that. Okay? I mow my own grass. Now, Mark saw me the other day. Okay. He knows. I mow my grass. When you're mowing your grass and you're trying to keep the straightest lines, I mean, you want your lines looking like Jim Stahl's grass, all right? I mean, you want it to look as straight as an arrow. But what happens to me sometimes is I'm mowing, ADD kicks in. I'm like, oh, there's a nice squirrel over there. And before you know it, where are you at? <laughs> then you got to spend the rest of the time trying to straighten up your lines because you never know when Jim may come by the house. All right? So you got to make sure you're focused. But even just the slightest distraction off of your line when you're mowing, you start to see yourself drift off from that line. Just the slightest bit. And the thing is, I think that drifting happens so gradually because the enemy uses things that aren't bad to take our distraction off of Christ and to make us not focus on him. He may use things such as our marriages, things as our children, our job, our hobbies, even our good deeds he can use to try to take our focus off of what Christ has done, and therefore we take our focus off of dedicating our lives to him and worshiping him in every aspect. Those aren't bad things. There's no way I'm going to make it through this. Ugh. There is good things that we have in our lives that can take our focus off of God and can cause us to drift. But brother and sister, do you understand that those things such as your marriage, such as your parenting, such as your, your good deeds towards people, do you understand that God created those things so that you could worship him even more in them? He did not design those things so that they may take the place of God, but he designed those things so that you can see God even more in them. And when you have a healthy marriage, you see that. When your parenting becomes about God, you see that in your kids. In your deeds that you do towards people, you see God working in that. But we can't take God out of the picture when it comes to those things. But I understand, too, that if you drift away from something, you had to start beside it to begin with, right? It's impossible for me to drift away from this piano if I don't stand by the piano to begin with. 
So what this interesting thing is here is we have to understand that this warning that the author is giving to the people in the book of Hebrews is that he knows that people there have an understanding of the truth. They know who Christ is. They know about Jesus. They know about his ministry. But the thing is, they have lacked the understanding that they have to anchor themselves in him. Think about a boat that's at dock. If you put the boat on the dock and you just get out of your boat and just let it stay there, when you come back in the morning, I can almost guarantee you that boat's not going to be there. But if you take that rope and you anchor it down to that dock, it may drift a little bit, but it's still going to be right there on that dock. If we do not anchor ourselves to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is where we find ourselves drifting. I don't care if you come to church. I don't care if you do good deeds. I don't care if you know who Christ is. If you don't put your faith in him, you will drift. You will become lost. I truly and firmly believe that when we anchor our souls to Christ, he will hold us fast. And there is nothing that we can do to hold on but except just anchor ourselves to him. You're in church today? That's awesome. I love that you're here. You know Jesus? Great. You're a relatively good person? That's awesome. But I hate to tell you this, but none of that matters. None of that matters. But here's the question that does matter. Have you put your faith and surrendered your life over to him? You guys remember, it's been probably several years ago, but I used that chair analogy. It's like this bar stool right here. If I believe that this bar stool can hold me, I believe that bar stool can hold me, that's great. What use does it have if I believe that it can hold me? For it to get its use, and for me to put my true faith in that bar stool, if I truly believe that that bar stool can hold me, then I will sit on that bar stool. But what too many people do many times is, I know Christ. I know he's good, but man, I'm just afraid to just go all in, Josh. I'm afraid to go all in. That's not faith. Knowing Christ is not faith. Some of us in here today haven't taken that seat on the chair. We know the chair can hold us, but we haven't taken that seat on it. We haven't anchored ourselves to the dock. We feel good and safe by the dock, but we still haven't anchored ourselves to it. That's real faith. And without that type of faith in Christ, without anchoring yourself to him, you will drift. And brothers and sisters, drifting leads to our second point, and that is destruction. Destruction. The author says, For since the message declared by the angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? What are the ramifications of spiritual drifting away from the gospel message of Christ? Well, the author continues on with this comparison of Jesus and the angels. And we already mentioned earlier how they both came with a message, right? They both came with a message. But the, it says the angel's message was proven reliable, meaning it was from God. 
This was not just some message that they just brought out of nowhere. This was a message from God. It was reliable. And it is believed here that the message being discussed in this particular passage is the Mosaic Law. The Mosaic Law. We can read about that in Leviticus. We can read about that in the Old Testament. We can read about the Mosaic Law. And we know that the angels were the ones that brought the Mosaic Law to Moses. We read that in Deuteronomy 33.2, Acts 7.53, and Galatians 3.19 tell us that the angels delivered the Mosaic Law over to Moses. And with that Mosaic Law came punishment when you did not hold to the Mosaic Law. We see in several instances that the punishment for breaking the law was stoning, death, if you did not adhere to the law. That's a severe punishment for disobeying, disobeying the law. But the author here is sticking with that theme of greater, that theme of greater that we see in Hebrews and we will continue to see in Hebrews by mentioning the phrase this, if that is the punishment, if that is the retribution for the law of the message, of disobeying the message that the angels brought, how much greater is the punishment for disobeying the law, the message that Christ brought? He says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This verse is implying a simple truth here. With a great messenger comes a great message. And with a great message comes great punishment. If disobeying the law that was delivered by the angels brought forth severe earthly punishment, how much greater the punishment will be for disobeying, or as he says, neglecting the great message of salvation from Christ. I don't know if you know this this morning or not, but if you do not place your faith in Jesus Christ, if, you, if he is not your Lord and Savior, if you have not surrendered your life over to him and placed your faith in him, destruction awaits you. It awaits you. Most pastors don't want to talk about hell, but it's a real thing. Punishment comes for those who are not in Christ Jesus. How shall we escape from this if we disobey the message of Christ? If we do not heed to the message of Christ as our Lord and Savior? Therefore, the danger of spiritual drifting is not only that we might miss out on a spiritually flourishing life, but the true danger of spiritual drifting is that we abandon the gospel itself and find ourselves under the judgment of God. How shall we escape? The author asks that question, but it's a rhetorical question because guess what? You can't. You can't escape that punishment, if you disobey the message of salvation, 
We talk about it's the unpartable sin. It is. If you do not place your faith in Christ, you are found guilty and you will pay. In denying Christ, lacking to put our faith and trust in him and not surrendering over to his lordship, destruction awaits. And let me go ahead and just tell you this too. We talked about how drifting is so subtle. We talk about how drifting is so subtle. JR kind of stole my story a little bit, but that's okay. We were at Patoka one time. We rented those pontoons that you get out there, and we went out to an area, and our captain, our captain, I think it was Eric Yoder, Captain Eric Yoder, um, he threw the anchor over the boat, and we jumped in and just lounging, having a good time, you know, going down the slide, all that fun stuff, and we're talking and having a good time, and next thing we know, we look over, and our boat's like four miles away from us. I'm not blaming Eric. I'm just saying he was the captain of that trip. Now, they may have not gave us enough slack on our anchor, or we may have just not found solid ground, but the boat drifted away from us. We weren't moving. We were standing still. We were just, we were just hanging out. We didn't move at all. But what had happened? The waves had pushed us out farther and farther. The waves caused us to get farther away from the boats. Trust me, I am in no shape to jump off that boat and think, I'm going to swim two miles away from here. No. And that's the same thing that happens in our life. None of us think to ourselves, you know what? Today's a great day to just swim away from God. Here's what happens. Understand this. There is no standing still in this life. There is no treading the water in this life. John Piper said this on his message on Hebrews 2. He said, the life of this world is not a lake. It's a river. And it's flowing downward towards destruction. This is a true story. I read about this. happened several years ago. But there were these two boys. They were out fishing on this river. And they were just, they were just so focused on fishing they were just making sure that they could try to catch whatever they could using the right bait. I mean, these guys were the top-notch fishermen, so focused on their craft. There was a dam that was coming, waterfall. They were so focused on their fishing, they never heard or saw the waterfall coming. And it took their boat, and before they knew it, over top, both boys died. They weren't paddling towards the, towards the falls. They weren't trying to get to the falls as quickly as they could. They were just so distracted on what they were doing and sitting still on the river. It gradually took them towards destruction without them even knowing. And destruction and death awaited them. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on 
Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right-hand throne of God. If you miss the first part of verse 2, that can happen to you. Fixing your eyes on Jesus is the key. Matthew 14, 29 to 30, Jesus says, come to Peter. They're in the boat. He says, come, Peter. What's Peter do? He steps out of the boat. He starts walking on the water towards Jesus. Then what started happening? Wind. It says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. When he took his eyes off of Jesus and he saw what was going on around him, what happened? He sunk. It's a great picture of what happens when we take our eyes off of Jesus. We find ourselves so distracted and we find ourselves sinking towards destruction. Let me tell you about boats that drift away from the dock. They become lost. They become torn apart. And eventually they're destroyed by the wind and the waves and the creatures all around it. It's inevitable, inevitable that destruction awaits that boat. And same can be said for us who drift away spiritually. Destruction awaits and there's no escape unless we recognize, unless we recognize our drifting and put our eyes back on Christ. Finish up that story. Once we recognize that the boat was way off from us, me being the most fit one on the crew, I swam all the way back to the boat. That didn't happen at all. But once we recognized that the boat was gone is when we recognized that we had drifted and we could go back. That's the greatest part. Even though we drift, all it takes is recognizing our drifting to go back. And this is where we bring to our last point, deliverance. Verses 3b to verse 4. It was declared at first by the Lord, this message, and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This message of the gospel, this message of the gospel that we anchor our souls to, lest we drift away and fall into destruction, is a message that was declared by God through Christ. It was proven through Christ, and it is established and unmovable today in our lives. Christ proved he was the Messiah. He proved he was the Savior of mankind. And he proved this through his words, his deeds, and his fulfillment of prophecies. But then what Christ did was then he passed this message forward to the apostles. And through the Holy Spirit, it was revealed to them who Christ was. And that he truly was the savior of their lives. And then they proved this message was true through their repentance, through their declaration, and through their acts of miracles and spiritual giftings that we read about in the book of Acts. Why is this important, Josh, that we make sure that we understand that this gospel message is true? If I don't trust the doc that I'm anchoring myself to, then I'm not going to anchor myself to it. 
I have to understand that this message of the gospel is true. It is real. And God makes sure that he follows every, crosses every I, or T, dots every I, makes sure everything is filled to the fulfillment that this message cannot be disproven. That it is truly the true gospel, the true way to salvation. But if we don't understand that, and we don't understand that it's true, then we're going to have doubts. And it's in those doubts that we, we hesitate to anchor ourselves to it. Second Corinthians 4, 6 says this, For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, he made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God, its glory displayed in the face of Christ. Matthew 16, 17 says this, And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this message to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That's when Peter confesses Jesus as Christ. How does this message of truthfulness, how, does, how do we know that the gospel is real? I can read all this all I want. I can hear all the testimonies I want. But it is only until the Holy Spirit reveals it in your heart that you can recognize the trueness and the power of the saving message of Christ. This message is true. This message is great. And God went the extra mile to make sure of that. And it is the only hope that we have from drifting away. Deliverance from our drifting is found in the gospel. Let me read Acts. In Acts 2, this is the first time we see the gospel preached from someone other than Christ. If you want to turn there, you can. Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 36, Peter uses these verses to preach his first sermon at Pentecost. And he goes through there and describes to them the gospel of Christ and who he was and what they had done to him, but that he rose after three days and was seated at the right-hand throne of God. He presents this gospel message, and this is where I want to pick up the response. The response. Verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. You guys know all week, my prayer for everyone who was going to be here today, I didn't know who was going to be here, but my prayer for each one of you this week was that this message of the gospel would cut to your heart. Because once it cut to their hearts, they said to Peter, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter told them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And listen to this part, how well it fits into our message about drifting today. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord calls God to himself. The gospel message is for those that are far off. 
but it's also for those that have anchored themselves to remind themselves that the gospel is what we have anchored ourselves to. You go further on there, it says, those who received this word were baptized and were added to their day. About 3,000 souls were saved by the message of the gospel. So in closing, I'm going to ask the praise team to come forward. And I want to close with this, this message that is greater than the angel's message. This message of Christ delivers us from our sins. It is far greater than any message that we have heard from angels, from kings, from presidents, etc. It brings us comfort. It brings us peace. It gives us hope. It gives us life. And ultimately, it saves us from the destruction that awaits us. So if you're in this room today, this is where I want everybody paying attention here. Because I want you to pay attention to the message of Jesus. If you're in this room today, and this is the first time you have heard this great message of salvation, and you are far, far from the dock, drifting away towards destruction, there is hope for you in Christ. There's hope for you in Christ. And if you're in this room today and you've heard this gospel message 800 times and you know who Jesus is and you know that he has what he has to offer and you know that salvation comes along with him but you've just never anchored yourself to that dock for whatever reason it may be, there is hope for you today in Christ. And if you're in this room today and you've surrendered your life over to God and you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he is your savior, but maybe you found yourself lately being distracted, maybe you've taken your eyes off of Christ in this busy season of life, Maybe you found yourself beginning to drift a little bit in your prayer life, in your Bible reading, in your overall devotion to him. There is hope for you in Christ. I hope you understand that the message today is that there is hope for all in Christ. And let me tell you this about anchoring yourself to the dock of Christ when we anchor ourselves to him, we put our true faith and surrender our lives over to him, he won't let you go because he will hold you fast. So this morning, I don't do this very often, but I feel that there's a good opportunity for us this morning to Admit this. Remember what I said. The only way that you can be rescued from your drifting is you recognize that you're drifting. The first step in, in doing that is recognizing that you have drifted away from God. You turn back and realize you're farther off from the dock than what you thought. And the dock is still there. It always will be there. It's immovable. It's unchanging. And you want to anchor yourself to that dock today 
Today you have that opportunity. But first you have to recognize you're drifting. And in that recognition, you're casting your anchor out onto that land and you're pulling yourself back to him. So today I'm going to open up the altar. You can do it at your seat. Find somebody beside you. But I think that today in taking that first step of recognition of your drifting is where true salvation and true bringing bringing us back to the Lord, which is where we need to be, starts. Put your pride aside. Put your feelings aside. And be honest with yourself. Are you drifting? Are you lost? Fix your eyes on Jesus today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you right now. Lord, we thank you. Father, we thank you for who you are. Father, we thank you, Father, that you are the immovable rock of which our salvation is on. God, that in the midst of the waves and the wind and everything that distracts us and gets us off-focused away from you, Father God, Lord, you remain steadfast. You remain in our sights. Father God, this morning I pray that for anyone in here today that has drifted, Father God, that they take that time to recognize how far they've drifted. And Father God, and in that recognition, Father God, they're not ashamed. Father God, they're not, they're, they're, they're not prideful. But Father God, in that recognition, they see how far they've drifted. But Father God, they see that they can easily just dock themselves next to you. Anchor their souls in the saving message of your son. Father, I pray today, just as you did in Acts at Pentecost, Father God, that you cut to the hearts of the souls that are in this room today. Help them recognize their need for you. Only you can do that, Father. Only you through their spirit, your spirit. And Father, for those of us that have, that have anchored ourselves to you, Father God, let us be reminded of your gospel. Let us understand each and every day what that gospel means to us. Now, time and time again, we have to bring ourselves back to you. But Father God, each and every time, you have never let us go. And you will continue to hold us fast. Let us find peace and comfort in that today. God, I pray you be with the people here today. Touch their hearts. I ask all these things in your son's holy name. Amen.